Welcome to The Rock Church and World Outreach Center. We pray that this message will strengthen and encourage you. Now here's a message from one of our special guests. Four keys from the past to unlock a floodgate for the future. All right, key number one is continuing to maintain a culture of honor. I believe honor is a key to the floodgates of heaven. And if you look at the, you know, whenever I come into this house, I never take it for granted. I know the price that Pastors Jim and Deborah paid to build this house. I was there when this was just, just a construction. I know the sacrifice they went through. I know what, what has been paid for this house in terms of the heart, the tears, the prayers, the giving, the sacrifices of God's people. I never want to take what God's given us here for granted. I want us to have an honor, an honor for the house. And the concept of honor and a culture of honor is always linked to reward. So I'm just going to give you just a few scriptures just to illustrate this. Um, obviously, the Ten Commandments. Honor your father and mother. So that's the, that's the honor part. Then it says, that your days may be long upon the land which the Lord your God is giving you. So the key to long life is honoring your father and mother. So whenever there's an honor, there's a reward. There's a blessing. Are you with me? Let's go to the next one here. Honor in Proverbs 3 verse 9. Honor the Lord with your possessions and with the first fruits of all your increase. And that goes on to say that your bonds will be filled with plenty and your vats will overflow with new wine. So if you honor him with the first fruits of all your increase, God will prosper and bless everything else that you touch and that you do. It's a, there's a blessing that comes with honoring God with the first fruits, and that's the first of what God gives you. God gives you a dollar in your slipper as a kid, you know, for your tooth that's fallen out or whatever. I would teach my kids, you bring 10 cents to the Lord and you, and you honor him with the first fruits of everything he gives you. And it's a principle. God says he will prosper and bless you. Jesus then says, we go to the next one. It says, um, and Jesus is talking about our relationship with each other. When I talk about a culture of honor, it's, it's, it's connecting with God's people in a, in a spirit of dignity, respecting people's dignity and, re, and honoring people for who they are. The Bible says every person is created in the image of God. And they have value to heaven. There's not a single human being, no matter how bad you ever feel about yourself, you're a walking miracle. And you are valuable to heaven. And Jesus paid the ultimate price for your sins and for your salvation and for your life. And Jesus made this, this statement. In, in, this is in Matthew 10, verse 40. He who receives you, receives me. And he who receives me, receives him who sent me. He who receives a prophet in the name of a prophet shall receive a prophet's reward. He who receives a righteous man in the name of a righteous man shall receive a righteous man's reward. And whoever gives one of these gives one of these little ones only a cup of cold water in the name of a disciple, assuredly I say to you, he shall by no means lose his reward. Here's dealing with each other. You don't know who carries your miracle. You don't know who's sitting next to you. You don't know how God's going to use people. You know, many, many years ago, um, we were with Reinhard Bonker. Lisa and I worked for him for three and a half years, uh, traveling with him, and then an additional year here in the United States. And um, Reinhard Bonker is a very famous evangelist. Many of you may know and seen those massive crowds. He just went to be with the Lord in December. He was a spiritual father to us. And um, 
But when we were in a crusade, this was in, in Ghana, um, we were in the northern part of Ghana in the Islamic area, and um, we were in a village, and, and, and these kids were just mobbing Lisa, and she didn't see that there was a prisoner pit right in front of her, and she fell 10 feet down into a prisoner pit. Now, prisoner pits were, you know, when they don't have a jail in some of these villages, they dig a very deep hole with, with very smooth sides, and you can't get out of it. And so Lisa's now 10 foot down in this prisoner pit, and she damaged her left side. In fact, they had to grab Reinhardt by the ankles, and he had to reach down and grab her hands and pull her out of this, this, this prisoner pit. I mean, it's the classic picture of an evangelist pulling a person out of a pit, all right? And so, you know... And, but when she came out, she had this terrific pain down her left side. And sometimes it would manifest in her shoulders and her hips and in other places. And, you know, we were with Reinhard Bonko. We are seeing miracles and signs and wonders and blind eyes getting healed and crippled people walking. And we are seeing all of these miracles happening. But we're praying for, for, for Lisa and, 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 and she's not getting healed. And Lisa suffered with that pain for seven years. We went and we, we came back to the United States, went to school again, went to the mission field to Africa. We went to Nigeria for two years and then came back again. And we were in 1994, we were, you know, in a little small townhouse down in Orange County. And a guy calls me from Singapore. I had written an article in a magazine and this guy calls me up and he's a very, he was a very strange guy. He was, he was good strange, but strange, all right? So he was, you know, he was a, a little small Chinese businessman. And he had read my article, and he says, I'm flying all over to see you. And, and, and I said, well, why, why can't we just speak on the phone? And he's like, no, I'm coming to see you. He'd had a vision of an Olympic stadium. And this was before we created the ISOM. And he saw this huge stadium, and, and he saw the nations passing by. And they were like they come in the, at the opening ceremony of the Olympic Games. He saw the nations coming by. And instead of them getting gold medals, they were getting Bible school diplomas. And we literally are seeing that in 150 nations. We're talking about over a quarter of a million students that are being trained for ministry and being used by God. And, and he had seen this whole thing. He said, I'm coming to see you. And so he said, oh, oh, I have this gift to pray for people who are terminally ill. I said, oh, I'll see if I can find some terminally ill people. So I actually went to the church I was attending and I got some people. We had a nice meeting. And when he came back to my house and, and I just invited him to my home and we came in the back door. And two little girls, they were about three and five at the time, they came running up. And, and as he was coming in the back door, I felt like the Lord prompted me, have him pray for your wife. And so, you know, I, I turned, I said, Brother Leong, I said, um, you know, my wife's had this problem. And, and Lisa was about 15 or 20 feet away in our living room. And she immediately knelt onto the carpeting. He says, oh, I'd like to pray for her you know, in a very sort of different type of way. And he took a step towards her. He never got close to her. The power of God hit her and healed her instantly, and she's completely healed. And I really had some questions. I said, God, I, we, we had all these, you know, I mean, we've been praying for all the, these years, and we've had these great evangelists and these great healing people, and here's this strange guy arrives from Singapore, and he's, you know, he doesn't even touch her. He doesn't even get to pray for her. He just, God just heals her. And it was just, it was so interesting. A, a month later, I was ministering in Belgium to some Russian leaders, and after we, I ministered, they said, we want to pray for you. And I was saying, oh, I'll, I'll take, always take prayer. 
So I knelt down and they began praying for me and I felt a different anointing than I'd ever felt from God. I just felt something very different when these Russians prayed for me. And I started, I said, God, what is this? What is you, what are you doing? And I felt the Lord just right there as I was being prayed for. I felt the Lord say, I've given different anointings and different graces to different people in different places. God said, I sent a person, I gave the healing to your wife, to that, that man in Singapore. If you had not received him, she would still not be healed. And that God had given different anointings to different nations, to different people. When you sow into world missions, you're sowing into yourself because a part of their grace is going to come back into your life. And we need them and they need us. Amen. So we need to honor, honor each other. And I just want to just, you know, just pick up one or two more here. Jesus says these words. It's, this is, actually, it's about Jesus. Mark 6, verses 4. It says, Jesus said to them, A prophet's not without honor except in his own country, among his own relatives, and in his own house. Now, he could not do no mighty work, or he could do no mighty work there, except that he laid his hands on a few sick people and healed them. Now, it doesn't say he would not do any mighty works. It says he could not do. Because if you ever get too familiar, you cannot receive from a gift. If you get too familiar with the house, if you begin to get a critical spirit, if you begin to not honor people and the people around you and the house that God's given you and the blessing of his word and you, don't, and you begin to take something for granted, it's a dangerous place. Because you can't receive when you stop honoring. It's an incredibly important principle in Scripture. Amen? And then, you know, finally, it says, let the elders who rule well, this is 1 Timothy 5, 17, let the elders who rule well be counted worthy of double honor, especially those who labor in the word and doctrine. The Scripture says you, will not, you shall not muzzle an ox while it treads out the grain. The labor is worthy of his wages. I honor the leadership of this church. I honor its the sacrifice of them. I honor them. I have known them for years. I've watched them. I'm on the board of directors. I've seen what God has done in this place. And let me tell you, we still don't honor them enough. And we need to have that real spirit because the more you honor the leadership, the more you receive from them. The more of God's anointing and more of his gifting, the more of his grace, the more of his blessing will flow through them because you are being fed by their hands. And so as you double honor... God's leadership. And that's what the scripture is saying in these words. And I want to just, in the context of this, and, I, and I'm, I'm going to be very cautious and careful with the time, but I want to share with you um, this area of financial release and financial blessing. And um, I'm going to ask Lisa if there's a little booklet down there. It's, it's, um, it's a little booklet that was written by Reinhardt. It should be down there somewhere. Um, and I want to share the story of this, of this little booklet over here. It's an amazing, amazing story here. So this was in the early 1990s. Reinhardt was lying in bed one day, and, the, and Jesus appears to him. One of the few times that he actually had a visitation from the Lord. And the Lord said to him, Reinhardt, I want you to print a booklet. This is actually a copy of the booklet that was printed. It's called From Minus to Plus, The Epic of the Cross. And if you open its pages, you'll see that everything is in full color and it's beautifully illustrated. And it's a story of the cross. And it's a story of minus. The Bible, you know, Bible says we're all born with a minus. 
We all have the minus of sin in our lives. We all have a negative side of us, and we're born with it. But we thank God that Jesus came and turned our minus into a plus with the cross. Amen. That's the essence of this little booklet. And so the Lord appears to Reinhardt and says, I want you to print one of these booklets for every household in the United Kingdom. Now, do you know how many households are in the United Kingdom? There's 26 million, at least at that time. There may be more today, but there was 26 million households in the United Kingdom. And, you know, <laughs> Reinhardt was kind of taken aback by this. And he said to the Lord, why me? Anybody ever had that question? <laughs> you know, Reinhardt was thinking, there's all these other big ministries. They've got lots of money. They've got partners. They've got all these things. Why me? And the Lord says to him, you're not my first choice. You're my third choice. But the others wouldn't listen and they wouldn't obey. And Reinhardt says to the Lord, he says, Lord, I give you two commitments. He says, number one, I will do an excellent job. And number two, you don't have to look for number four. I'm, I accept the challenge. Amen. And so Reinhardt worked to, to write this little booklet from minus to plus, the epic of the cross. And, and then he began to try and raise six million pounds. That's $10 million, all right? Now, you know, you guys are a tremendously generous bunch, but... I want to say, and I can say a little bit because I have that British accent, all right? The British are not known to be as generous as you are, all right? And they are sometimes, you know, this is not their number one quality, all right? And so Reinhardt's preaching his heart out, sharing the vision of, of reaching the whole nation, that every person in the nation would get a presentation of the gospel and, and they would be able to be saved and it would go to every household and it would be so beautiful that people wouldn't throw it away and... And, and nobody's giving. He needs six million pounds. There's six weeks to go. And he ends up in a small, it's a small uh, a church that's in Wales. It's pastored by Ray Bevan. I know Ray and I also know Reinhardt. And both of them have, have verified this. And so Ray takes the offering that night. Reinhardt gives up. He preaches about what he's going to do. And Ray, you know, is trying to encourage his people to give. And while he's saying and, and trying to encourage them and he's trying to get them to, to reach deep into their pockets and he, he says these words, he says, somebody could probably just give a million pounds and you wouldn't even, you wouldn't even feel it. And it wouldn't even hurt you. And anyway, he goes on and they take the offering and it's another bad offering. But after the offering, a guy comes forward who looks dressed like a homeless person, just dressed, I mean, very, very poorly, very unkempt, <laughs> doesn't look like anything. And, and, he, and he comes up to, the, to Ray Bevan and he says, a, a pastor, he says, did, did anybody give the million pounds? And Ray looks at him like incredulous. He says, no. He says, it was a juke. It was a blinking juke. You know that British, that's Welsh accent. He says, it was a joke. I was just joking. And the man says, well, I'd like to speak to the minister, to Mr. Bonky. And he looks him up and down and he says, you know what? I'm sorry. He's busy. He's having his tea. And as he's going to the back room, the man calls out and says, can you just tell me where he's staying? And he says, oh, well, he's staying in that inn down the road. 
10 o'clock that night or 11 o'clock late at night, Reinhardt's getting into bed and the phone rings in his, in his hotel room. This man's in the lobby downstairs and he says, Mr. Bonke, can I ask you some questions? Reinhardt says, what's your name? The man says, I'm not telling you my name. Reinhardt says, well, then ask your questions. So for 20 minutes, he treats him with dignity and respect. And after 20 minutes, the man says, I'm going to tell you my name now. He says, my name is Lord Edmonston. Reinhardt says, sir, I know you. I know you. And, and, and Mr. Edmondson says, I've never met you, Mr. Bonke. I don't know who you are. And Reinhardt says, I've just finished reading a book on the 100 wealthiest people in the United Kingdom. He says, sir, you are number 20. The man says, it touches my heart that you as a German care for the British, that you want to do this for England in the United Kingdom. I give you a million pounds. And five days later, a million pounds dropped into their account. But more than that, it opened a floodgate. Within six weeks, six million pounds came into that, into that account. And they sent this to 26 million homes. And let me tell you, the key in the door was honor and dignity and respect. And Reinhardt said to this man, the man's now last year was number 10, the wealthiest person in the United Kingdom. And Reinhardt said, why do you dress so badly? You can buy the whole shop and make yourself look decent. And Mr. Edmondson, we have a picture of him out there. Lord Edmonston, he's actually given over 400 million pounds away in his work. And he, Mr. Edmondson, said, Mr. Bonke, I always dress down so I can see what's in people's hearts. You don't know who's sitting next to you. You don't know who God has in this house. You don't know who you meet on the street. You don't know. But let's have a culture of honor. Let's respect what God has done and let's respect his people. And let's, let's maintain and continue to maintain a culture of honor at the rock in every area. Are you with me? Amen. All right. We move into point number two and we're going to move much more fast now. All right, number two is, key number two, submit yourselves to the vehicles of process that God wants to use in your life. Now, Pastor Dan talked a lot about different things that the church was initiating, everything from, from small groups to um, getting involved in, 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 in different things that the, uh, that the church offers to help you to grow in your faith. And we may think, well, I don't need that, and I don't need this, and I don't need that. But somehow God uses what I call vehicles of process. I just wrote a book. It was published last year. It's called Pursuing Maturity. And I have a whole chapter on process there. And I make the observation that, you know, everything in our culture is built on process, often except the church. Because our whole education system is a process from, from the K through 12. And then our university systems. And then into the bachelor's, master's, and then in doctoral levels. Until there's a process to get from the beginning to the end. There's a process in our military. That's how God builds the military. And it's a process of development and growth. And they understand process in such a phenomenal way. There's a process in our sports systems in everything from the little league all the way through to the pros and into the, you know, the major leagues. There's a process in everything, but sometimes the church is going from event to event, from seminar to, you know, to camp to crusade to outreach to, 
to whatever it is. And events are wonderful, but events need to ignite process. And we need to submit ourselves and subject ourselves to process. And that process can be as simple as when we started this year, we said we're going to just do, and we, I saw in the back of the, of the Rock magazine that there's a Bible reading program. I have about maybe 30 people that we do a Bible reading program from the beginning of Genesis to Revelation every year. And we, we're accountable to each other. And we just go through from reading Genesis to Revelation. And there's a structured plan. And it's a process by which the Word of God grows in our lives. And you can say, well, I can just do it by myself. But you won't do it by yourself. You have to subject yourself to a process. And there's a process that God, you know, He gives those things. And it's, it's um, you know... It's something that you voluntarily have to realize that you need. This morning, you know, I, I, we support a, a family in the Philippines, and it's a beautiful family. They live in a very remote, poor area of the Philippines. And, and the, the, the pastor of this church, and this, he's got this beautiful little family, four kids, and he wrote to me this morning, and, and I just, it just touched my heart because he was, you know, um, he's really, really growing, and his family's growing. He's building a church. He's building now a gymnasium for their community. He's become a pillar in his community. And, and he, he emailed this this morning. He says, I believe that education is one of the keys in improving one's life. My father did not want me to pursue my career as a teacher because he believed we are poor and he cannot support me financially. But my mother did not give up, and, and he, she fought for it. And she believed in me. Out of seven siblings, I'm the only one who finished college. And I believe education is a must. And this, I can see his whole family growing just because his mother fought, because she realized that the process of transforming his thinking, his mind, and his abilities was so valuable that it was worth fighting for. Amen. So the process is so, is so critical, and I, and I want to bring this up because this is where this title of this message came from, was about a floodgate. Now, I'm just going to set up, and then we're going to show a video here in a moment. But we, you know, we work, of all the nations we work in and, and, and in the world, I'm not going to say too much about it, but the number one nation that God has used our ministry in is China. And, and it, it, if we had done everything we've done only for China, it would have been worthwhile because we've been able to train the leadership of probably 50 million believers in the country of China. Now, we didn't know that God was going to use us like that. We didn't know what was going to happen. Now, we created the ISOM in 96 or 95 and 96. And then 97, we developed the notes. And at that time, there was a missionary that was working in China him and his wife, and they were fairly on in years. And while the missionary was over there, his father died in Ohio. So he flew back to bury his father. And at the funeral, he had a heart attack. So he didn't die. He had to have a bypass surgery. He didn't have any insurance because he was a missionary working in China. He used up all of his life savings. His wife came over back to join him. Doctor said, do not go back to China. He destroyed all of his, his livelihood. He had nothing literally left in the world. And his life was shattered. And he was driving now on a, getting going to, from Ohio down to Florida to go and take care of the mother. And their lives were just broken and had nothing left. And on a Sunday morning, 
He was just driving through a small town. It was Sunday morning. He said to his wife, he said, let's just go into that little church over there. And they just chose a church and they went in and they sat at the back of the church just as visitors, first time visitors in a church that they didn't know anybody and they didn't, nobody knew them. And while they're sitting there, the pastor stops in his message and he picks them out of the thing and he says, you work in China. And he now begins to speak a prophetic word over this missionary couple. Now remember, their lives are completely shattered. Now, let's, we're going to go to the words of the exact words of the prophecy, and let's just take them. I want you to read them carefully because they contain a key for your future and for your life. So let's listen to them as we put this up on the screen. I see God giving you a key. And he says, and he wants you to take that key back to China because it's going to open up a floodgate. He said, I saw just floodgates opening up, bringing down walls, not just city walls, walls around men's hearts. And it's going to affect people from the peasant right up to the political realm of China. I see walls coming down or starting to come down in China that all the human suffering is going to start coming to an end. And he says, it's something that no one's ever brought back to the people. And things have been tried in the past, but they haven't worked. It seems like a difficult country to, sometimes to minister in, but he's going to give you a key that's going to open up the floodgate that's going to bring millions of people. I don't see hundreds. I don't see thousands or tens of thousands. I see millions of people, lives changed because of what you're going to bring back. Amen. <clears throat> now, this missionary couple, they worked for a year. And there was very clear in the word that God said, you're going to bring it back. But he says, I'm going to give it to you when you're there. And God's going to say, that's going to be the sign that you'll know it's from me. So they, after one year, they earn up enough money and they fly back to China. And after one month, there's a knock at the door. Now, I don't even know, but this was probably the first set of VHS cassettes. We now put the whole curriculum on a microchip, 160 hours of video. In those days, it took 100 VHS cassettes to put the curriculum, the same amount of content. And at the door, there's a missionary standing there with a box. And he says, you know what? We, this has been in five other places in China. Nobody wants it. He said, you welcome to heaven, and if you don't, we don't want like the teaching on the Holy Spirit, and we don't want to have it, and if you want to have it, otherwise just throw it away. And they open it up, and it was probably the very first set of our material that ever got into China. Now, I was back there just the end of last year. One of the churches that used it has themselves, just one church, has trained the leadership of 35,000 leaders, just one of them. And it's now impacted all through the entire underground church in China. And you know, the key was a vehicle of process. <clears throat> God wasn't just saying, oh, well, you know, just, you know, watch a, watch a program. He was saying, here's a program that will take you from here and will mature you in your faith. It will grow you. It will develop you. It will mold you. It will, it will it'll be something that is systematic, that is incremental, that will bring you to that place that God has for you. And the things that the Rock is offering, whether it's the Rock Bible College, whether it's whatever the small groups or whatever it is that God, He wants you to subject yourself to vehicles of process that will open up a floodgate for your future. 
Are you with me, church? Amen. And so key number three, this is, this is an interesting one here. Key number three is don't forget the foundational principles that God gave you. Don't forget the foundational principles that God gave you. You know, when Jesus is speaking in the book of Revelation, he's speaking to the church in, in, I believe, in Ephesus. And he says, I have this complaint against you. You don't love me or each other as you did at first. Look how far you've fallen. Turn back to me and do the works you did at first. And God is often bringing us back to our roots, to our foundations, to the foundational pillars of our lives, to the principles that, you know, enabled us to be where we are right now. But so often as we grow to a place, we think we know better. We don't have to do those things. And, and sometimes we forget them and we actually neglect them and become, you know, we, we're like we've grown past that. But you don't grow past, you know, the basics. You don't grow past the foundations. We never must forget them. I remember um, hearing, and, and I believe it was from Jim Reeves, and he was telling the story about, about um, Nordstrom's and J.C. Penney. And this was, you know, Nordstrom was founded in 1901, has about 379 locations. J.C. Penney was founded in 1902, has over 800 locations. And what happened was that during the recession, and even in, since the, big, the last maybe 20 years, that Nordstrom's charges a lot more than J.C. Penney. Many of you know, ladies say amen, all right? And, and it's a sort of a high-end high type of shop. And, and, and J.C. Penney, have, they've tried all kinds of new marketing, all kinds of new different things to do it. But generally speaking, they have not done as well as Nordstrom's. And during the height of the, of the recession, um, I, hear, I heard that there was a, um, a frustration, out of frustration, that a, a group of executives from, um, from JCPenney requested that they could have a meeting with a group of executives from Nordstrom's. And they met in this, this giant conference room, and, and the one group stood on the JCPenney on the one side, Nordstrom on the other. And the, the JCPenney people said to the Nordstrom people, we don't know, we're trying every new type of marketing technique and social media and all these different things, and we're trying to do everything we know how to grow our stores and to, and to successfully, you know, bring increase, and we just, we just are not making it, but you guys continue to succeed. What is the secret of your success? And one of the executives from Nordstrom's got up and left the room and came back with a giant book in his hands. And he placed it down in the center of the table and opened up its cover. And it said, How to Run a Department Store by James Cash Penny. They were reading the book from J.C. Penny's founder as to how to run their stores. And the, and the J.C. Penny people have thought they had grown beyond that. We're in a new generation, we're in a new but they left the foundational principles. And if you want to open up a floodgate for the future, you better remember your roots. Amen. And you better remember the seven pillars of this church. The seven pillars of this church. This church, and, and Pastor Deborah was sharing with me at dinner tonight. She just said, you know, Proverbs 9.1 has these words. Wisdom has built her house. She has hewn out her seven pillars. And these are the seven pillars of the rock that we must never move away from. 
Number one, the wells of salvation. God has sovereignly and supernaturally given us salvation at this church. Um, I, I travel the world. I've seen churches everywhere. I know of nowhere where you literally have to just say the name of Jesus and people come forward to give their hearts to Jesus at this altar. We take it for granted. We're like, oh, we want to go to lunch. You know, they want, Pastor Dan's doing his third altar call. It's okay because there's a well of salvation and it's a supernatural thing and we better not become too familiar with it. And we better not become, you know, just like, oh, well, that, you know, oh, why are they wasting so much time? No, honor it. Respect it. It's a foundational pillar and we must never move away from it. Spiritual personal trainers, the discipleship of God's people, Godly relationships, and godly relationships involve a lot of the things that Pastor Dan talked about on Sunday. We're committed to provide multiple opportunities to connect people to Jesus Christ and to each other through small groups, events, and activities. Number four, good works. Number five, world missions. We're just a part of the fruit of what the world mission sowing of this church. Number six, leadership training. Rock Bible College and what you guys do and and here on the front row here with, uh, with Fred Adams. And then finally, number seven, church planting. These are pillars of the church that we as a church need to begin to impact the world. And so wisdom's built her house. She says, who not are seven pillars? No matter how much God blesses us and how much the world changes, let's never move away from these pillars. Amen? All right. Give the Lord a hand. I have one last one. I'm going to request another water as well. All right. Number four. Are you getting something out of tonight? All right. Can you take one more? All right. It's one of my favorite. Number four is build on what others have accomplished and take it to new levels. Let the ceiling of what God has done become the floor that we build on. And what God has done up until now, let me tell you, to establish a church like this is a miracle of heaven. And God didn't just give us here so we can just pay off our building and be happy and clappy and go to heaven. He, he gave us this place. He gave us what he's given us because there's a divine destiny on this church. There's an, there is a global destiny. We're not just called the Rock Church. We're called the Rock Church and World Outreach Center. That God has something phenomenal, and we cannot stop to reach to that. And I love what God did, you know, with, with John Osteen. And John Osteen built a phenomenal church in Houston. But, you know, when Joel Osteen took that church, he used that foundation, and upon it, he then went and he... He, he gutted out a dome and he with 16,000 seats and he began to, a global outreach that now touches millions and millions of people every single week. And he took the foundation of his father and he took it to a whole nother level. And I believe that's the destiny upon the rock. That what God's given us is not for us to just rest, oh well, we've done this. No. Praise God, we're stewards of a foundation that God has given us, and it's the foundation for something amazing in the future. It's a double harvest, not just for ourselves. It's a double harvest for everybody. It's a double harvest for the outreach. It's a double harvest to the nations of the world. And we are not here for ourselves. We're here 
to build an eternal kingdom. 1 Corinthians 3 verses 9. We are God's fellow workers. You are God's field. You are God's building. According to the grace of God which was given to me, a wise master builder, I have laid the foundation and another builds on it. And that's what's happening here. There's a foundation that's been laid, but it's a foundation only so that a magnificent thing can be built. That's where it's going, and that's what God wants. John 4, verses 35. Do not say there are still four months, and then comes the harvest. Behold, I say to you, lift up your eyes and look at the fields. They're already white for harvest. And he who reaps receives wages and gathers fruits for eternal life that both he who sows and he who reaps may rejoice together. For in this the saying is true, one sows and another reaps. I sent you to reap that for which you have not labored. Others have labored and you've entered into their labors. So others have labored, but we enter into them. We reap we, with joy that we reap with the, with the wells of salvation. We, we, we rejoice together that he who sows and reaps rejoices together. I believe only... As we reap, will those who laid the foundation rejoice? We need to take it to the next level. It's our chance. We just lost Reinhardt, an incredible spiritual father to my own life. And I went to his memorial service in Florida. And, and there, you know, the, the, the headline of what his whole thing was about was about passing the baton, passing the torch, that Olympic flame from, the ne from one generation to a new generation. And I believe that that's what's happening here. We're going to run the final lap on this thing. And we're going to finish this race and we're going to finish it well. Amen? So I close with a video here. And I want to show you one of my favorite movies. I'm a television producer and a movie maker. And I, I love media. I love the communication ability of media. And, you know, in 1924... There was a phenomenal, phenomenal runner by the name of Eric Liddell. Many of you have seen the movie Chariots of Fire. And, you know, it's an incredible story, but it was an inspirational story when it happened because you had the fastest runner in the world in the 100 meters, and Eric Liddell was, you know, was, was slated to win the Olympic gold medal, and he was chosen out of Scotland. He was chosen to run for the United Kingdom. The Olympic Games that year was in Paris. And... You know, the world was watching and everybody was expecting that Liddell would win the gold medal. But there was only one hiccup. Then when it came right down to the final heats for that race, when they were pairing out who would run in the finals, they, he discovers that the race is on a Sunday. And he says to the organizers of the Olympic Games, he says to them, I'm so sorry, I can't run on Sunday. And they said, what, this is the Olympic Games. You've trained your whole life. The whole world is watching you. Everybody's expecting this. Just you know, the fact that it's a, just make one exception. And he says, I don't. He says, I honor God first. And I will not violate his, his Sabbath. It's a principle of my life. And he said, but you know, can't you just make one, one exception? And he says, no. And so... When everybody else is running in those heats, 
he gives up his gold medal. He lays it on the altar and he just says, okay. And you see him go to church and he preaches on Isaiah chapter 40. And he preaches about that incredible scripture where it says, they that wait upon the Lord will renew their strength. They will rise up with wings as of eagles. They will run and not be weary. They will walk and not faint. And he preaches a word of God and everybody else is running in the race and he is giving up that gold medal. And then one of his teammates comes to him and says, I can't bear that you, my teammate, would not be able to run in this Olympic Games. This man was going to become a missionary to China. He ended up becoming a missionary, and he went to China, and he died in 1945 in a, in a, in a concentration camp. He gave his life living for God in China. He knew that he was going there, and he, this teammate said, I have to see you run. I am in the finals on the, two, on the 400 meters. And he says, please, will you take my place? And will you run in my place? And I will give up my spot. He says, I already have won a medal. And he gives his spot to Eric Liddell in the 400 meters. You can Google it, 1924 Olympic Games. And so we're going to watch that final race. And you're going to watch an American runner come up to Liddell and hand him a little piece of paper and that little piece of paper has a scripture from 1 Samuel 2.30 where God says to his people, and he says these words, for those who honor me, God says, I will honor. And let's watch that close of that race and we will close up the service. It says in the old book, he that honors me, I will honor. Good luck, Jackson Schultz. power come from to see the race to its end from within God made me for a purpose. But he also made me fast. And when I run, I feel his pleasure. Olympic gold, he broke a world record. But beyond that, 
He took a stand for God. And then 80 years later, others took his platform, took his story, and created this movie called Chariots of Fire that then touched an entire world with his story. And I believe that's where God has the rock. He's laid a foundation. These four things are keys that will unlock a floodgate for our future. Continue to maintain a culture of honor. Submit yourselves to the vehicles of process that God wants to use in your life. Don't forget the foundational principles that God gave you. And build on what others have accomplished and take it to new levels. I really believe that God has an incredible year ahead for us. But he wants to give us some keys to unlock that future, to unlock what he wants to give us. And so with that, I just want us to close in prayer. But I also want to give those who have not given their hearts to Jesus, and you've come here tonight, and maybe you want to be a part of what God wants to do. And God has a destiny on every person's life. There's not a single human being that is not incredibly valuable that Jesus would not have died for you only were you the only human being on the planet. That's how valuable you are to heaven. There's not a single human being that's not a walking miracle, that's not created in the image of God, that does not have the image and the imprint of heaven upon them and has the potential for greatness and the potential to do wonderful things. Thank you for listening to the Rock Church and World Outreach Center. If this message spoke to you, please share it with us. We'd love to hear from you. You can find more information at www.rockchurch.com.